Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, I don't know if you have ever had this experience. You probably have. Uh, it's the expectation reality gap. Anyone know what I'm talking about? You, you're hoping for something. You're looking forward to something. You're expecting how incredible something can be. And then you get to it. You're like, mm, this is not quite exactly what I was experiencing. I experienced this a little while ago in what I would call the, an anti-holiday I went to Fiji and I was thinking, I'm going to be so relaxed, I'm going to lie on a beach. I'm going to have massages, I'm going to be so relaxed on this holiday. And when I came home, I was far less relaxed than when I had gone on my holiday because of the anti-holiday. First of all, we had an aborted landing when we tried to land in Fiji. A man on the plane had a panic attack and I had to look after his children and ended up hosting a spontaneous story time on the tarmac in Numia, which was an emergency landing because we couldn't land in Fiji. We finally got to Fiji, someone tried to break into our room and then I ended up with food poisoning. (laughs) Needless to say, this was an expectation reality gap on my anti-holiday and I think I needed a holiday from my holiday when I got home. There are so many different experiences though in life, aren't there, when uh, the the reality of a situation doesn't quite measure up uh, to our expectations and it can be that our expectation, as as with my holiday, the the reality is far worse uh, than the expectation that we'd had. It might be uh, that you had had these high hopes for what your career might turn out to be like and where you're at just doesn't quite match what you were hoping for or what you were expecting. It might be the same uh, for your relationships. How am I not married by now? How, how have I not had children by now? Why is it that my kids' lives look like this? This is just not what I was expecting. And sometimes uh, the reality is far better than we were expecting. I've got a friend who recently took up pottery uh, because she was, he went to a support a friend, uh, but she's just become this like lifelong love for her now. And she absolutely loves going to pottery class. It's brought this new joy and vibrancy to her that she didn't thought, think was possible. There's this an expectation reality gap, but the, the reality is much better than she could have expected. Um, and then there's this third type where the, the reality is, is better, but it's so different that we could never have imagined it. It's it's better, but it's not, we, we might not think it's better than worse. It's just a completely, it's of a unique order. It's a completely different type of reality that we, we couldn't expect because we didn't have any, any previous situations or experiences that could have led us to expect it. And that's the kind of expectation reality gap we see in this story today when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. The crowds are expecting one thing, but he comes in in a completely different way, setting a completely different reality against the expectation it is better, but it's so different from what they might have expected um, that they just they could not they could not have foreseen it coming. Um, so I want you to come with me if you've got your Bibles, turn to or turn on your Bible, as our recent uh, guest visitor Chris Estrada has said. Come to John chapter twelve. I'm going to retell the story and kind of fill in some gaps along the way so that we don't miss the significance of some of the detail in this story. But so keep your Bible open. You'll need that with you, or have turn it on in your device. And um, so here's the story. Jesus, um, a couple of weeks ago, Sam was telling the story about how Jesus raised one of his best friends, Lazarus, um, from the dead. That was in John chapter 11. This is John chapter 12. So just recently, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and he's on the road from Lazarus's hometown of Bethany on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Jesus is quite heavy hearted because he knows what he knows the fate that awaits him in Jerusalem. It's his death. 
And so heavy-hearted, he heads along the road from Bethany towards Jerusalem, towards where he know, uh, knows that he will die. And uh, what's happening in Jerusalem at the time is it's this Jewish festival of Passover when the Jewish people would all come as pilgrims and converge on the city of Jerusalem to celebrate um, and remember the time that God had freed the Jews from captivity uh, in Egypt, in the Exodus. It's when the Red Sea was parted so that they could pass through and escape uh, from Egypt. And one historian estimates that at one Passover, there were 2.7 million people in the city. I think the usual population was around 100,000. So you get the idea. It's swall- this is population of the city has swollen. There are a lot of people uh, in the city. And so as Jesus walks in towards Jerusalem, the story tells us that the crowds come out to meet him in the same way that the crowds in the surrounding Greek cities would come out to meet sovereigns as they would come into, into the city. And so effectively they're going out, to, recognising him as a king, going out to meet him as he uh, arrives in the city. And as he gets closer, um, not only are the people, is the crowds coming out from the city, but there are crowds that experience him raising Lazarus from the dead, from Bethany, who are coming with him in this direction. And they're going out and spreading the word and they're saying, have you heard the conqueror of death? The one who raised Lazarus from the dead is on his way to the city. Have you heard? Have you seen? Come and join us. And I kind of imagine this like those movies or ads where there's someone who's walking down the street singing, you know, and then someone, someone leaves their like, lawnmower in their front yard and comes and joins in and someone leaves the ice cream stand and they come and join in and sooner or later there's dancers and there's singers and there's a brass band and they all, this, this crowd kind of swells and swells as they walk down the street. I kind of imagine like that. This crowd is swelling and swelling and growing uh, because this conqueror of death, this king is on his way to Jerusalem. This this is an atmosphere that is charged, that is electric, that is full of hope and anticipation. And it's not just growing in size, it's growing in anticipation. It's growing in electricity. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd when there's a monarch approaching. I was in Edinburgh, I think nine years ago, when Queen Elizabeth was approaching. Now, this is obviously not in London. It was in Edinburgh. But nonetheless, there was a big crowd. My brother was with my brother. I'm like, what are all these people doing? So we hung around. <laughs> wonder what it is. It could have been nothing. But anyway, we joined in. And then sure enough, in past came Queen Elizabeth. And there were all these people. There was such anticipation because the monarch was on her way um, to the palace. I think it's the palace in Edinburgh. Anyway, regardless of what the technical word was, Queen Elizabeth was on her way. Now, that is nothing compared to what this would have been like. The king, the one we think is the king, is on his way. He's coming, finally. Now, what this atmosphere is so charged with is 2,000 years of national hope and expectation that God would send a deliverer, somebody who would restore Israel, the Jewish people, to their former political and economic glory. He's coming, he's coming. And this atmosphere is charged with these years of ant- national anticipation. They've been waiting for 2,000 years for God to come good on his promises to make the Jewish nation a blessed people and a people who are blessed and so therefore able to be a blessing to other nations. They've been waiting and they've been waiting and they've been waiting and they're thinking, yes, finally, our deliverer is here. Our deliverer is here, the one who is going to make everything right again the one who is going to free us from this Roman occupation that we're currently under and fulfill these 2,000 years of national longing. National expectation and zeal is off the chain. Was anyone there in the 2000 Olympics when Kathy Freeman won the 400 metres? Yeah, a few of you. Wow, was it amazing? 
Was it electric? Like you watched the footage. I saw it on TV as a 16-year-old or so. And uh, it was electric. I watched it back when I was preparing for this. And even I had goosebumps watching the YouTube clip. Like this, this woman running with the whole weight of the whole nation's expectations, right, for victory. Cheering her on, hoping for victory. That's, that's, the, that's the sense of, if you can get a sense for that, the sense of the anticipation, the hope, the expectation, that he, nationalistic expectation, here is our king. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people of that same sense of electricity. Our king is coming and he is going to win a victory for our nation. Palms in the day had become the Jewish national symbol. They were on their coins, palms, had become a symbol of of Jewish nationalism. And so the people take their palms, because there were lots of palms around at the time, and they went out to meet Jesus, Jesus with these signs um, of Jewish nationalism to meet their Messiah, their chosen one, their king, their liberator. And they cry, Hosanna, which was a cry of praise to God taken from one of the Psalms, the Psalm 118, verse 25, if you're a note taker. And then again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, taken from the same Psalm 118, verse 26. They're identifying him, Jesus, as their Messiah, pronouncing blessing on their coming king, their political savior. Blessed is the king of Israel. You're getting a sense as to the energy of this moment, the electricity of this moment. And there he is. They see him in the distance. There's our king. And in comes their king. Welcomed by his people as a king would be. But intentionally fulfilling a prophecy that had been foretold many years earlier by a man called a prophet called Zechariah in the book that takes his name, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. He does something very unexpected in the midst of this national expectation. It's something that's so jarring against the national expectation of who he would be as their king. Instead of riding on a war horse... He finds a young donkey, a donkey's colt, and he rides on it into Jerusalem. Amidst all this fanfare, amidst all this anticipation for their political saviour, he finds a young donkey and rides it into Jerusalem. Now the atmosphere was so charged that Jesus could have started an armed revolt right there and then had he wanted to. But instead, he chooses to demilitarize the crowd's vision by choosing an animal that is representative of humility and peace and gentleness. Now, this is the moment that an arriving uh, king or an arriving monarch can send a message about who they are and what they're about, right? Who's seen Aladdin? Remember the scene when it's a glorious scene, amazing music, when he comes in and he's got the, ele- I wish I could remember the lyrics because it's hilarious, but he's got elephants and he's got monkeys and he's got birds and he's, he wants, he's not actually a king, by the way, so he's trying to compensate. And he's showing about how wonderful he is and he's trying to make a point by the kind of arrival that he makes. And it's like big and flashy and there's a genie doing something, making the whole thing happen. And he's making a point through the arrival that, that he makes. This king arrives on a donkey What kind of point is he making about who he is, what kind of king he is, and what he's come to do? 
He's sending a message about who he is and what he came to do. Now, the interesting thing is that neither the, the passage tells us neither the crowds nor Jesus' disciples, who have spent three years with him nonstop, have a clear picture of who Jesus is or why he came. Their expectations are off. The atmosphere is so charged by their own expectations of who they want Jesus to be, a conqueror who will drive the Romans out and restore Israel to her former glory. But Jesus pushes up against them by being an utterly different kind of king, a king of a completely different order, one who is humble, gentle, and peaceful, something that his own disciples don't get until after he's died and been raised back to life what this passage refers to as being glorified. They don't understand the reality of who Jesus is because they have this very firm set expectation of him. Now, the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, can you imagine, they're the guys who've been trying to stop Jesus' influence from growing. They just stand back and they're like... Like they watch this crowd of hundreds of thousands of people welcoming their saviour, their king, and they realise that all of their many efforts to contain Jesus' influence have been utterly ineffective, which is the understatement of the century, maybe the millennia. Utterly ineffective. And they use a common phrase to them at the time, which was an exaggeration, but that the whole world had gone after him. And there really was to them the whole world in Jerusalem. There were pilgrims from everywhere having converged on this city, people from all around the Mediterranean basin and beyond. Look, the whole world has gone after him. What option is left to us now? (laughs) What a picture. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in that crowd? Can you feel the electricity of it? Can you feel the anticipation of it? Can you feel the irony of it and the jarring of the expectation reality gap as Jesus comes in on a humble donkey when they're expecting a war horse riding king? There's this weight of 2,000 years of national hope and expectation and dream and anticipation for this king who would deliver and restore them to their former glory. And he arrives on a donkey. Now, the story doesn't tell us what the crowd's response to that is, but I can't help but wonder, I can't help but um, but think, was there too much hype for them to pay attention to it? Did they even care? Did they just brush it off and not pay much attention to it? Were they concerned? Was there a mixture? Did the force of their expectation just cause them to turn a blind eye? But I do wonder if they were thinking, this is our national liberator, and he chooses to arrive on a donkey... How are you going to take the Romans out like that? (laughs) Like, really? How are you going to take the Romans out by riding on a donkey? With humility, with gentleness, with peace. That's not what they were expecting. I think it's fair to say that there is an expectation reality gap. (laughs) for the crowds in seeing Jesus arrive in this manner. The humility and gentleness and peace and freedom and mercy of Jesus that are communicated by him arriving on a donkey are not the tools of a conqueror, right? 
Well, it depends on what he came to conquer. <laughs> Does it not? If he came to conquer the Romans like they expected, maybe not. But what if he didn't? What if he didn't come to conquer the Romans? What if he came to conquer something else for which he is perfectly equipped with humility and gentleness and peace and mercy and freedom? What if he came to conquer something else altogether? It's as if Jesus is saying to the crowds, as he makes this entrance, as he makes this statement, you've made assumptions and you've set expectations about who I am and what I've come to conquer. You think you're welcoming a national conqueror and you've got it part right, but you've also got it part wrong. I will be your king, but on my own terms. Your expectations of me, deliverance from your circumstances, don't determine who I am or why I came. I'm a conqueror, but what I will conquer is pride through humility. I will conquer fear through peace. I will conquer harshness through gentleness. I will conquer restriction through freedom and I will conquer cruelty through mercy. And here's the heart of it. It's as if Jesus is saying this, I have come to meet your needs, not your expectations. You think you know what you need. You think you know what you need saving from. Political liberation, national restoration, circumstantial reform, overcoming your problems and your circumstances, living a comfortable life. I know your circumstances are maybe not what you would want them to be. And I know you expect me as your king to make these problems go away. But you know what? I made you and I love you and I see right to your heart and trust me when I tell you, I know you've got some deeper needs than the ones you know you have. Now this is really good news. It's as if he's saying, I've come to bring humility and peace and gentleness and freedom and mercy to your life. If only you would welcome me as the king I am not the king that you expect. And so my question for us this morning is this. Do you think maybe we can be a little bit like the crowd sometimes? I know I can. We have this set picture in our mind, formed through our experiences, formed through our beliefs, formed through comparisons of who Jesus ought to be, of who we want him to be, of who we expect him to be for us, of what he should save us from. A king who's there to overcome our circumstances for us, 
a king who's there to fix our problems, a king who's there to set us up for a comfortable life. Now, this applies whether you're a Christian or not, does it not? If you're a Christian, maybe you've welcomed Jesus as the crowds have, as your king, but the king you've welcomed might not be the king he is. There's an expectation reality gap in your life. Maybe you want a king who can overcome your circumstances and make life comfortable for you. But you have a king who made you, who loves you, who sees your heart, who knows your deepest needs, your truest needs, and even better wants to meet them and can meet them if you'll let him. If you're not a Christian, maybe you find yourself wondering, if I believe in Jesus, will it solve whatever problem I'm facing? Will Christianity work for me? Will it fix my problems? And if you resonate with either of those today, would you allow me to gently shine a light into that expectation reality gap for you? Because I want you to know who you're welcoming this Easter. I want you to have a clear picture of your king, the king we welcome as we celebrate him. He's a king who comes to meet your needs, not your expectations. Jesus is not a silver bullet for a comfortable life. How many of us know that? He's the king who created you, who loves you, who's come to meet your deepest needs for peace, for humility, for freedom, for mercy, for gentleness. That's our king. This Easter, you're welcoming a king who will relentlessly pursue meeting your needs, not your expectations. Now, you might be thinking, whoa, 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 okay. Firstly, I don't even know what my deepest needs are. Secondly, that is all a bit deep and emotional for me. Thank you very much. I cannot risk looking like I don't have it all together. This is not for me. And thirdly, it feels much better to have a king who will save me from my external circumstances, somewhere out there, nice and safe. Not from my pride, my fear, my harshness, my restrictions, my lack of freedom, my cruelty. It's a bit personal, isn't it? In fact, it doesn't even feel so good admitting that I might have some needs in some of those areas. <clears throat> Firstly, in response, we all, all of our needs arise from our deepest need, which is simply relationship with him. And from there, don't you worry about it. He'll help you see what <laughs> your other needs are as you allow him to come and meet them in you. Secondly, life is not about having it all together. 
Amen. Thank you. It's hard and it's messy and it's painful, is it not? Sam always says if you can't, if this place is not a place that you can be okay, where can you be okay? Not be okay. It's messy and it's painful letting Jesus meet your deepest needs. There's tears, there's pain, there's vulnerable conversations with him and with other people. But they are our deepest needs that he wants to meet to bring us restoration, to bring us fresh life, to create, to shape us into the people that he dreams that we can be, to shape us into the church he dreams we can be. Yes, it feels safer and less vulnerable to have a king who saves you from your circumstances out there and not from yourself. But who doesn't want someone to come and conquer fear in their life? Really? We all want someone to come conquer fear in our life. Who wants to live in fear? Who doesn't want someone to conquer pride in their life? Well, if we're living in pride, we might not want someone to. <laughs> Who doesn't want someone to conquer their self-criticism? Their lack of freedom, their lack of buoyancy. God tells us in his word... There is what no eye has seen and no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived is what God has prepared for those who love him. And that involves him meeting our deepest needs as he meets our deepest needs. He will do unfathomable things through our lives. He will shape us into people we never dreamed we could be. So this Easter... Will you proclaim a blessing on the Jesus that you want, the one who allows you to call the shots and meets your expectations? Or will you proclaim a blessing on the Jesus that we have, the one who is Lord, who loves you, and who wants to bring about real, meaningful and lasting change in your life? If you would let him, if you would welcome him as he is, Your king is coming. This king is coming. The question for us this morning is, will you receive him? Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.